thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 143 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by chiropractor, health advocate and self-confessed biohacker, Dr. Anthony Guston. In today's episode, we discuss the paleo diet, the ketogenic diet, fasting, biohacking, exogenous ketones and so much more. This is a must-listen episode for anyone interested in optimizing their health. Hi, Anthony, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to chatting with you further today. I'd love to start with a little bit of your background information, just for context and to introduce you to our audience. Yeah, so I am trained as a chiropractor here in... So I live in San Francisco, but I'm currently in New York for a little bit. Um, And I had a practice five years ago that I was working a lot with, kind of one-on-one with sports rehab. And I built uh, several clinics in the Bay Area and switched to a little bit more of functional medicine. And kind of discovered with both those routes that nutrition was the root cause of, or lack of nutrition was the root cause of most people not either healing from a sports injury or having any problems with with recovering from a functional medicine kind of a treatment. And so I started thinking about how to solve problems with nutrition on a larger scale. And that switched into me growing and running the companies that I have now, which are Equip Foods, uh, Perfect Keto, and a few other ones that are all based upon making health more easy with accessible products. Very cool. So we'll obviously talk about um, more of your companies shortly. But what does nutrition mean to you? So nutrition to me is just what do people choose to put in their body and whatever they, they do on an ongoing basis. And so to me, it's not a diet or something that people temporarily do. It's just, I guess, a fueling strategy to reach certain goals. And so I think the more specific the goal is, the more specific the fueling strategy should be. Yeah, for so, sure. For instance, if you're a, um, a bodybuilder and you're trying to get super lean versus if you're just trying to feel good, um, I think those are two very different goals. And I think that they should have very different um, uh, fueling strategies. Yeah, absolutely. And very individualized, of course. So what we've seen in the nutrition space, and I'm sure you've been, you know, right in the middle of it, is we kind of started with that rise in paleo a number of years ago. And slowly we're seeing, um, the, I guess, the, the ketosis type approach um, take, I guess, more interest. And then in recent times, it's really accelerated in terms of popularity. So have you got any thoughts on why you think that is? And is it the same people that are moving from paleo to ketosis? Or are we looking at, say, you know, a different audience that are now looking at maybe more of the therapeutic benefits of ketosis? Yeah, I think paleo has been good to teach people what they should eat from a quality standpoint. So really good on food, food, um, what, what options you're choosing and where you're getting your food from. And I think that what it misses a lot of times is a quantity aspect. And so the ketogenic diet kind of gives that element of a quantity based aspect. I think the best 
way to do it is to kind of combine those two things actually. And so this is the thing with, with a paleo type of diet that people don't realize that it still matters how much food you eat and when you eat it, especially if, like I was saying before, you have a specific goal. Whereas for a ketogenic diet, a lot of times people say like, oh, just because um, my ketone levels are high and I'm eating this high fat diet, that means it's healthy, which again is not even close to the case. And so I think that a marriage of these two things actually is the healthiest, op- healthiest option for some people. I don't think a ketogenic diet is appropriate for everyone, but I think that, you know, if your goal is, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, but like mental clarity, prevention of certain diseases, um, treatment of certain disease processes like diabetes and losing weight and even endurance um, performance. And I think that that can be a really good tool for those goals. Yeah, cool. So who do you think that ketosis doesn't suit? I think people with who are looking to grow and so that is like people who are bodybuilders looking to gain muscle. I think children, for instance, like that, I, I don't think it would be bad inherently, but I mean, if, if people want to be in the kind of a growth mode, I think that it's, it's not great. And then also people who want to do any kind of explosive work. So like a CrossFit athlete or performance athlete where you're looking at short bursts of energy. I think that like a football player. Um, so I work with some some football players now and they've asked me because all the stuff that I put out, the ketogenic diet would be appropriate for them and absolutely not in my opinion. And so those are the type of athletes where it's, it's sprint heavy, go quick and then rest. And for those type of people, you're working on an energy system that doesn't really work well with the ketogenic diet because you're, you're creating energy in a very sustainable way, but it's not that quick. And so if you need that quick burst of energy, I actually recommend eating carbohydrates. Um, Still, obviously, of like uh, of high quality and not what mo- what most people are consuming. But but yeah, I, I don't think it's for everyone. And some people just inherently don't do well with high fat diets, just because you know either their microbiota is different, their health history. Um, most people who have poor health history actually do better on a ketogenic diet, just because they're not great at regulating their blood sugar and controlling insulin. So that would be a good choice for those people. But for some people, it just it just doesn't work. And so this is one of those things where I think taking an individual approach to it testing stuff and seeing does this work for me for my goals yes or no instead of just taking the blanket approach where like you said it's going to be very very popular which is great because it can be very useful but instead of just saying like this is a panacea and great for everything applying the tools to figure out if it's appropriate for what you're trying to get out of nutrition yeah again coming back to your earlier point so just to clarify then when you are referring to ketosis are you talking about it like in its stricter sense where we look at like the 20 or 25 grams of carbs a day and and would you obviously then scale a similar model up to the the sprint athletes or is it entirely different in terms of macronutrients yeah i think this is another thing that is very very individual on mm. the sport and 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 the on the person so and this is even in the key drag diet you can say like oh yeah 80 percent fat x amount of carbs is, is a great kind of starting point but i know friends of mine who are you know very large and very lean who can eat 7500 grams of carbs a day and still be in ketosis mm. whereas i know some people who can eat 10 and they'll be out of ketosis and so very very individual in my opinion yeah and so i think that's a really important point to explore because would you then think that the 80 or 100 grams of carbs a day is enough for the sprint athlete so essentially if their genetics and metabolism allowed, it could potentially work so long it was personalized. Yeah, and then uh, obviously if, if they're a serious athlete, they're going to be looking at performance indicators and see, kind of tweak um, and see, you know, am I getting, you know, faster results? Am I, am I performing better? And then kind of tweaking at that end and working with, 
a nutritionist that, you know, really can, can hone in on those things, I think is, is super important. But if it's just, you know, I'm, I'm just running on the side and I'm, you know, I'm not a, an extreme athlete and it's not for competition, then I don't think it needs to be as specific. And so I don't think people need to count every single day, you know, every single carbohydrate that they're eating if they want, you know, some general benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So I wanted to switch gears just slightly and explore the topic, topic of fasting with you. We've had um, Dr. Sachin Panda on the show and we spoke in quite um, great detail about the science around time-restricted feeding, which is, of course, a little bit different to intermittent fasting. Um, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on intermittent fasting in particular. Um, yeah, so let's let's start there and, and explore that a little bit further. Yeah, so I think this is, a, is one of those things where it can be very useful um, and very easy to do. And so that's one of those, like, there's not much of a downside to it. And so when people can test out things that are free and super easy, then I think that that's something that you usually do. And so I do that a lot just for convenience and because I'm generally not hungry and I perform way better, better um, on a ketogenic diet when I'm fasting. So the reason I do a ketogenic diet primarily is for mental performance. So when I'm running all these companies, and I have all this work to do throughout the day. I need to be on my game throughout the entire day. And so that being the case, I've kind of tweaked in and figured out reasons for me why intermittent fasting works really well. And for me, um, it boosts, it keeps my ketone levels as high as possible. And when I'm in that state, about you know 2.0 millimolar, which is just measuring in the blood, then I feel the best mentally. And so I've kind of used that as a trigger. I, I don't need to use it for, for instance, I don't, I'm not looking for fat loss, but again, that's a super effective way to approach, um, to approach um, losing fat as a, as a goal. And then also, uh, I mean, lowered inflammation. And then, you know, if you guys talked about all of the, the benefits, I mean, there's, there's dozens of them. And like I said, if it's, it's a free thing, you can try it on yourself. Then I think that, you know, people can easily pop it in and see if it, it fits in their goals. So what sort of protocol do you personally use? I'm not so strict about it. So it's not like, you know, I, I can only eat at 2 p.m. and I have to stop eating at this time. It's more so I generally, you know, I stop eating at, you know, 6 to 7 p.m. And then I wake up and work all the way through maybe noon. And then after that, I work out. And then after my workout, I eat. And so we're maybe looking at like the four to six hour window. And then if there's days when I wake up and I'm super hungry, then I eat. So it's, it's not like I am super rigorous about it where it has to be a, a certain way. And I think that people a lot of times can put themselves in a box and say, you know, it needs to be this way, put the restrictions on it. Um, when again, the, the more specific your goals are, I think that's appropriate. But again, if, if mine's a general mental performance, then I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to, and I'm hungry in the morning, I'm not going to be thinking about food. I'd rather just eat food then I'm going to do that. And now I have to you know, think, oh, well, I told myself I need to fast through this certain window. So I think that having flexibility and just having kind of a general guideline, um, and that's what, kind of what I tested works well for me is that, you know, the, the, I'd say like one to two to, to six or seven, so like, like four to six hour eating window. I feel the best that way. Um, so, I mean, that's what I'm currently doing. Yeah, cool. And I think that's a really important point because I think in the nutrition space, we're so used to everything being super hard, like you have to eat... 1200 calories a day. You have to count every macronutrient. You have to 
flog yourself at the gym and then people try to turn fasting into something that's really difficult as well. Like they have to do 16 hours and it has to be every day and then it becomes a stressor, which is obviously going against, you know, all the benefits that we're trying to create by implementing a fasting protocol. So I completely agree with you. I think being able to be intuitive and make some intelligent decisions on a day-to-day basis is how you get the benefits out of fasting and then obviously it doesn't become a stressor and you can continue to use it as a tool. Yeah, and I see people walking around all the time with these these apps that count how many hours they've been fasting every day and I think that at that point it's just you know if you if you're weighing your food every single day and like you're weighing, you're counting every macronutrient but your goals aren't very very specific then I think that you're kind of just wasting your time. Um, but yeah, I mean for for some people it may work that way but some people it's just I think it's overkill. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I'll obviously direct our listeners um, to the show notes to catch up on the episode that we did um, record with Dr. Panda. But, you know, it is about being really mindful of how you can apply it to your life and your goals, but also your genetics and your metabolism and your training schedule. And, you know, that you can make a decision that's intelligent with all those things in mind. Yeah, it's great. I also love, um, I usually pepper in like a full day of fasting once per month and then mm-hmm. a three or four day once a quarter. And then I, I have on the calendar before the end of the year, a seven, I think I'll do seven or nine days fasting. And those I, I time and a little more specific about, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit different than intermittent fasting in my opinion. Yeah. But I think obviously like there are so many different protocols. So this is an interesting topic because you know, what I always remind people of is that fasting is a muscle. So, you know, if you if you have poor blood sugar control and you're coming from a background of constant grazing, then, you know, jumping straight into a 16-8 protocol is not going to end very well. And, you know, neither are you ready for, you know, one or multiple days or a week of fasting. So obviously yourself, you've experimented with this for some time. So, we would say, you know, your fasting muscle has been trained. So, you know, your body is able to go through those extended fasts quite well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And uh, I've made the mistake of trying to go into fasting, like a three-day fast, not being in ketosis. Mm. And that's another huge mistake, in my opinion. Miserable. And so I would recommend if anybody's trying to fast, um, do like get into ketosis first, like nutritional ketosis, and then start a fast, especially a longer one be much easier yeah i completely agree so you know you obviously set up your nutrition structure and get some amazing blood sugar control and get your body burning fat and obviously producing those ketones so that when you do take things up a notch even if it is that the next step is that you restrict your eating window down to eight hours and therefore fast for 16 that you're doing it in that step change approach so tell me more about a one-day fast. Would it be water only? Are you doing things like broth, any fats or vegetables? Yeah, if this is in one day, I just do water. So okay. I don't think there's a big deal about that. Cool. No electrolytes or anything like that? No, I think you can buy one, one day. It's not yeah. a problem. You know, it's one of those things where just make it easy. So just drinking water. I mean, should I probably be taking some electrolytes? Maybe, but I, you know, I don't feel I don't feel bad doing it. I don't, you know, I've tested blood before and after, and I don't think there's any any change in doing electrolytes versus not. I'm not doing crazy workouts right now either, so yeah. it's not, I don't think it's you know I'm not running 20 miles on a one day fast either. So I mean, if if I had performance like that, 
my workouts right now are, are pretty low key. I'm just doing some gymnastic stuff, which isn't super demanding. And they're super hard, but not very demanding. And so I don't think that, you know, doing the electrolytes on a one day fast for me is, is worth it. Cool. And how would your protocol change as the days extend? So then I start adding in like a little bit of bone broth and definitely some electrolytes at that point. Um, but I've tried both kind of a fasting mimicking diet. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's, uh, um, I'm sure you, you and your audience uh, know kind of a little bit about it, but you know, you would have like five to 700 calories. Mm. Um, I know there's some tension in, in the fasting community of whether it's a true fast or not, but I've again tested blood work before and after um, of doing just like uh, water and electrolytes versus doing a fasting mimicking diet. Fasting mimicking diet for me is just way easier. I think that I get too distracted on a three to seven day fast with um, no food. Whereas if I had like a s- scoop of coconut oil or butter in broth and that's all I have throughout the day, I feel way better. And I think it's just like the psychological effect of it and all my markers as far as reduction in inflammation, reduction in IGF-1. And um, lean muscle gain, actually, like hormonal profile changes, all of these things are the same from if I have five to 700 calories versus if I don't. And so I enjoy it that way. And so that's what I've been doing. And so, yeah, pretty simple. Just, you know, I usually just do once a day and then that just looks like um, bone broth. So I use kettle and fire bone broth. And then I just put, like I said, like a, like a pat of butter or a little bit of coconut oil in it and then some salt and some other uh, minerals. So I have a little uh, aqueous mineral trace, trace mineral solution that I use. And then that's the, that's the quote unquote meal of the day. Yeah, cool. And obviously that you are testing it. So, you know, you know what's working for you and this, you know, it's important to put a bit of a caveat in there that it won't work for everybody and, and neither do they need to jump into that sort of deep end straight away, but definitely t- something to explore once your metabolism's ready as we've been discussing. Um, yeah, exactly. And medical supervision, like obviously you've got a pretty extensive background, but do you add more supervision if you're doing like the seven-day fast that you're looking at doing later this year? I don't. I wouldn't recommend that. No. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, just clarify. <laughs> yeah, so I I take all my own blood work and send it in. So I mean, I feel like I am my own supervision. So I would not recommend that for everybody. So okay. yeah, cool. Yeah, so I think it's obviously really important to to get some support if you are looking at experimenting with fasting and definitely seek the help of a you know a qualified professional to make sure that if you're thinking of trying any kind of fasting protocol that you do it you know very well and obviously to maximize the health benefits right and, and i've stopped i've stopped many fasts when mm. i just i felt terrible and i'm like now nah, this is i don't feel good i'm just gonna be done and so I, you know they were like okay this is gonna be five five days and then it was three and I'm like now this is not going well i'm gonna be done so again, not being super strict about it, like it's it's not it's not a binary thing. You can always end it, and that's the great thing about a fast is that it's free. You have the control to just stop it at any point and eat food. Yeah, but absolutely. I would say don't don't be silly and just like push through um, the stubbornness of being like, oh, I need to do it for five days. So it's not effective. Again, have have your goals in mind, get some clarity around what you want, and um, I think it'd be much easier just being honest with yourself. Do I feel good? Yes or no, and then end it if it's you know like if I start getting headaches and feel like super low energy and can't sleep and all this type of stuff, then then I'll pull a, pull a plug on it. Yeah, very smart. So what are the things that you think we need to be wary of 
when it comes to fasting? Like I know the benefits are that it definitely lowers IGF-1, but what if, for example, your levels are too low after some fasting? Have you seen that in any of your clients or personal experience? Yeah, uh, not too low, but I have, I, you know, I think it's transient dip. And I think the most important thing is to truck that over time. And so why I usually do when I do truck blood work, and I have one of these that I've posted on my website, uh, if you want to check that out, but it's results um, at day zero, day five, and then I think five days after. And you'll see I've graphed out the, the bounce back. And typically, this is what you're going to see with a lot of fasting. It's, it, I mean, it is definitely a stressor for your body. And so when you do that, you're going to have changes, but then you're going to usually have like a super compensation effect. So you actually have a better result afterwards. And so lean, lean mass is another example of this. Like you're going to lose some lean mass, but then you're going to actually gain it because of the, the how your body kind of chews up through your proteins. Um, and so the same thing with IGF-1. I haven't seen anything where it's where it's, it drops and then it stays down or it has any changes that where it's, it's not a transient change. And so I'm not, I, I haven't been too worried about that thus far. Yeah, that's interesting to think about, obviously, keeping, um, keeping track of how the body responds after the fasting protocol. So that's yeah, definitely people some- usually do like day zero, day five, like day, day five of the fast and see what the changes were, but then, then they don't look at how your body recuperates from that. And so yeah. I think that if you're going to track things like that, you definitely need to put that, you know, five, 10, 15 day even buffer on the end so you can see how your body re- recovered from the fast. And that would be after you've returned to like normal eating? Per se? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome. And what do you think about um, any other considerations to be wary of when it comes to fasting? Yeah, like I was saying, just, just listen to your body. Like mm-hmm. You're going to know if you're not feeling appropriate. And there are just some times where I think the, the ones that I've done, it, there was just like too much work stress, too much personal stress. And I think that added on to the physical stress of fasting. I mean, it's not in, your body has to go through a lot of processes to, to figure out how to survive basically and so if you're adding on a bunch of other stressors and you're not getting really good sleep and you're not you know, doing some slow movement i think that you know you can start crashing pretty quickly and so energy levels to mean yeah you're gonna have a little bit of a decrease but if it's stuff where like i didn't like i didn't even want to stand up that's too much you know what i mean and so that's something that you can look for um and just like i said just being aware and being honest with yourself and, and not trying to push through things to um to get something that you could probably just get a longer term anyways. Yeah. Great advice. And I wanted to explore the anti-aging effects of fasting with you a little bit more, because I think this is probably where a lot of the contention is. Like if you talk to Dr. Panda, like they're pretty strict on that. It's like, essentially it has to be water only to get the, you know, the benefits for the telomeres, which are of course the anti-aging benefits of time restricted feeding. And then you, as you mentioned, there are, the um the five two proponent that believe even five hundred calories on those two days a week can create the anti aging benefits. Can you give us your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this there the, you know there is a lot of data out there, right? And so with the way I look at it from kind of a telomere standpoint, I'm actually optimizing. I have a lot of cancer in my family, and so I'm optimizing more so for cancer reduction and kind of clearing out those cells. And so all the work that I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Thomas Seyfried, but he's him and Volver Longo or some people who have done some research on, you know, fasting mimicking diet and kind of calorie restricted ketogenic diets and fasting kind of that combination. And they've seen the best results with those diets. And so 
I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's unknown yet. Um, I, everything that I've tracked it myself, I mean, I haven't been measuring my telomeres obviously, but everything <laughs> else that I've tracked is, has been the same with or without. And I know I feel better and can take it fast longer if I'm doing, uh, kind of a fasting mimicking diet. And so I'm, I'm sure that there's some benefits just going water only. Um, it's just more of a stress to your body. And that's, I mean, it's just the reality of it. But I think for me and for most people, it's more sustainable, especially if you're coming from, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a crazy person when it comes to like my nutrition and kind of like, I don't, you know, if you would want to say like biohacking, but mm. yeah, I, I've gone in the weeds for a few years now. And so if you're just coming from a general diet and you're looking at the adherence rate, I think that, yeah, maybe the telomeres have a better effect um, from water only fast. But if you can convince somebody to start trying to, to fast with a modified fast and like a uh, 500, 700 calories, and you can get more people to do it at that point. I think that that's a more successful fast in the long run because people are actually doing it and adhering to it. And so that's kind of my opinion on con- convincing people to fast. And then after that point, if they've tried it and they want to try a water one after that, then I think that you can convince people a little easier. But telling people not to eat food, that's a, that's a tough thing that I've realized. People do not want to give up their food. They think you're crazy. They're like, oh, I can go four hours without food. What are you talking about? You Four days. And so giving them that a little bit of a carry on a stick of saying like, Oh, don't worry. You can still have a little bit and get a lot of the benefits. Then then they can do that and be like, Oh, well, well maybe it wouldn't be so bad with just water. But if you just tell people like, Oh, you can only drink water from the get go and they've never done that before. And they're not used to making these changes in, in their life. Then I think you're going to lose a lot of people right off the bat. And I think that that's more so what I look for in a lot of this type of stuff is adherence more so than like very technical, um, benefits. Does this make sense? Yeah, for sure. And obviously we know, again, it's it's goal dependent and a lot of the work that, say, Jason Fong's doing is with people that are really metabolically damaged, um, unfortunately very unhealthy, um, and we know that, you know, they, they basically can really work to reverse a lot of their damage with the water only fast, but, I mean, they're doing it under medical supervision and have very different goals to, say, you or I. So I guess we kind of come full circle there when we come back to the point about it being very specific to the goals, you know, very individualized, but also taking a really intelligent approach. Exactly. Yeah. Everything is so different. And like you said, those people are in a completely different place and they're willing to take very different measures. So mm-hmm. their adherence rate is obviously very high. They have the, 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 med- the medical supervision. And so, yeah, they're, they're going to make those changes. But if it's just for, you know, some, some mom, in the middle of Australia or the U S it's like, that's going to be a little bit different than somebody who who goes to one of these specialized clinics. Yeah, absolutely. Very different goals. Cool. So I wanted to go full circle again and, and go back to our earlier conversation about ketosis, but explore the topic of exogenous ketones. So, you know, again, it's a, not a conversation that's new to us here at the real food reel. Like we've definitely explored it before. Um, but obviously, your um, one of your companies, Perfect Keto, is you know obviously making its mark here in Australia as well as overseas. So, tell us a little bit more about that, and um, you know what you see happening in the exogenous ketone space. Yeah, so this is another thing where adherence to me is the most important thing. And so, yes, I do think that eating real food, eating a ketogenic diet is is good. I don't think you need things like supplements to function at the high, highest level you can. And so that's this big misconception that, you know, people who are providing these products are just trying to give people shortcuts or whatever. 
I think that's completely false. And I think that what we're trying to do is, is make it way easier. So if, if somebody thinks like, oh man, I don't know if I could ever give up carbs, blah, blah, blah. And so we're trying to create all these products to make it very easy to get into and maintain a state of ketosis or at least experience the effects of ketosis. And so the first products we launched, uh, which I saw in the back when we started this, this recording, um, were exogenous ketones. So that's, you know, for anybody who is listening who isn't aware of this, I'm sure most of the listeners are, are pretty tuned in, but ketosis is just using the breakdown of fat, which are ketones, to produce energy instead of the breakdown of carbohydrates. And so these are the actual breakdowns of fat, the ketone molecules themselves, so that when you take them as a supplement, your body can readily use them. Um, and then there's a bunch of misconceptions that kind of come along with supplementation of ketones, exogenous ketones. So exogenous just means that you're getting it from outside your body instead of your body making it itself. And so these are products that, you know, you, you consume them and then your body can start using ketones as a source of energy right away. And so there's a lot of different benefits for that. Um, um, yeah, so any specific questions you guys have on, on that, I'd love to kind of address. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think... It, they do have a lot of benefits in terms of, especially when someone's first starting, as you know, like we come from this space where people have been told to eat every two hours and they're also following a conventional food pyramid, which is very much, you know, high carbohydrate. So to get them to move, to start to burn fat and experience all the benefits, you know, it, it's a pretty tough couple of days, even a week for some people. So I love that, you know, that we can use exogenous ketones in that kind of space to help transition someone through that metabolic gray zone so they can start burning fat. And obviously there's, you know, many benefits that then continue. Yeah, and so we just put together a huge post that we're probably launching soon that shows that even if you were to eat some carbohydrates that are not in a strict ketogenic diet, taking exogenous ketones, they've like they, there's hundreds of research papers on administering exogenous ketones with carbohydrates in the blood, and there's still a ridiculous amount of benefits. Um, obviously, I'm going to sound a little biased because you know this is my company, my products, but I mean that's why we're pointing to the science that is completely independent of everything that we're doing. And I mean, the amount of uh, benefit is just, is just great. I mean, whether that's from stains and increased energy to increase mental performance, decrease anxiety and depression, increased aging and longevity, increased performance and recovery, you know, weight loss and blood sugar control and regulation. I mean, the, the benefits are, are pretty extreme. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of use cases. Like you said, transitioning from a carbohydrate-based diet to a fat-based diet. You're going to have a tough time where your body doesn't have a lot of fuel to use. And so being able to kind of buffer that with some exogenous ketones is a, is a good bridge. But then also, like, for instance, I was saying before how when I, when I fast, my levels of ketones get to about 2.0. I feel best mentally at about like 3.0. Even if I fast, like I, it takes me like four days of fasting to get to that level. Some people just can't produce that amount of, of in, endogenous ketones. And so for me, I always feel best mentally no matter if I'm in a full ketogenic state nutritionally, if I take exogenous ketones and bump up to about a 3.0 millimolar. And so your brain and your heart, even in the presence of carbohydrate, will uptake and use ketones as a source of fuel. Um, and so, you know, even if you are eating carbohydrates and you take exogenous ketones, your brain will go, oh, this is way easier and way better for us. It uses the source of energy. And so it will actually use the ketones immediately um, for energy production. And so, and that obviously for me is a huge benefit. And so that's one of the ways that I use it. 
um, for for uh, mental performance. Yeah, awesome. And how are they best used? Like what time of day with food or in between meals just for someone that might not have tried them before? Yeah, so that completely depends on the goal. Mm-hmm. So for instance, some people can, you know, if they have a lot of appetite dysregulation from foods that have eaten before, in between meals is great. I think in the morning is, is really good for people who just kind of want to kickstart to their day. And I just take it before usually I work. And also before this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, I, could, I think a little bit better. It's, you know, 9.30 p.m. here in New York. So, need to be on my game. And it, yeah, just completely it, before a workout, during a workout is a good time. For, the goal is to increase performance. So that way your body can actually be using more of a fuel source at that time. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily a bad time to use them. It just really depends on the goal. Yeah, I love that. And I, I personally use them throughout the afternoon when I do need a bit more brain support when I'm seeing clients or, you know, writing articles or whatever it might be. I think that mental clarity is amazing. Um, so, you know, between lunch and dinner is a really great option. And certainly, um, my athletes are getting some great results having it before their fasted training. So it just really helps obviously accelerate the body's selection of fat for fuel and then it allows them to continue to work on their fat adaptation as they move into that aerobic session. Yeah. Which can, for some people can take a very long time actually. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially again, those that are coming off like a conventional model, they're usually super resistant to not eating before training and it can be quite a hard sell to get them to make the change. So giving them an alternative, which makes that process much easier is, you know, another place where I think exogenous, exogenous ketones sit really well. Yeah, I think they're great. But again, I'm a little biased. So. <laughs> oh, no, but I also love the work you're doing at Perfect Keto because it is so educational based. You know, it's really important that people learn about how to start with food first, which I know you're very um, big on educating. And I think that's exactly what we want people to be prioritizing, just eat real food. And then there are some tools they can use to accelerate that. But they still want to have, obviously, the their metabolic goals like they can achieve them by the lifestyle food choices and stress management and so on yeah and that's something that we really focused on uh, you know when i first launched a company it's it, the products are great because they help maintain the stuff but if people don't have the information in the first place to make the educated choices on, on why they are going to be doing a ketogenic diet it doesn't matter people are never going to make the changes that, that they need to reach the goals that they want and so yeah, it's it's been tough to to really produce all of the content that we have. It's, it's a, a lot of investment of of time and resources, but you know now we have hundred plus articles that you know I think that focusing on that has has been just as important as making the products themselves. Yeah, I agree, and I know you said that you can obviously still get the benefits when you consume exogenous ketones with carbohydrates, but I'm not a massive fan of someone being like you know, being told to have like two, three, four hundred grams of carbs a day and, and then just take a, a supplement. I think that's being a little bit lazy personally and I'd rather someone have the yeah. foundations of health first and food quality and all these things that we talk about day in, day out. And then the exogenous ketone is a tool that they use on the site. Exactly. And so, for instance, it's it's, it's not a magic pill. It's not a magic fat loss pill either. Um, but for instance, like if somebody was eating a really good food and they're let's say a crossfit athlete and eating 200 grams of carbs a day but in you know are are doing important mental work and they want to use exogenous ketones that would work but it's not like you make bad food choices and it erases those bad food choices so that's, <laughs> it's, 
exception. Like you can't go eat donuts and then have exogenous ketones and think that you're healthy again. Yeah, it doesn't cancel it out. <laughs> nice with it, huh? <laughs> Maybe your next product or your future yeah, um, product line. Working on it. <laughs> cool. Just a couple of final questions before we wrap up. I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, how you think exogenous ketones will be used in the future. Obviously, we know the benefits of ketosis from a therapeutic standpoint. Have you got any thoughts? Have you seen any preliminary research as to where things are going? Yeah, I think inflammation, aging, longevity are, are some of these things that are just starting to be researched now that are very fascinating. I think uh, also cancer, cancer, not cancer treatment, but cancer prevention and um, looking at how the cell metabolizes energy and how the mitochondria actually work. Um, I mean, I could rant for a while about this, but there, there are certain pathways in the electron transport chain, which is on the outside of the mitochondria that produces energy that are kind of rate limited by the ketones that you have. And so you're, you're basically increasing the efficiency of your mitochondria when you have this stuff, which most research that's coming out, you know, in, in most recent years is that a lot of health problems are mitochondrial in origin, um, including cancer. And so I think that that is going to be a fascinating kind of next step is, is one inflammation control. And so this works on several different levels as well, but more so mitochondrial health and the, the role that ketones play in affecting uh, mitochondrial performance. Yeah, amazing. And I look forward to seeing more of the research. It's so great that there's, you know, already an abundance in this space and so many amazing people that are continuing to research this fascinating area. So where can people, yeah, yeah, amazing community. Absolutely. So where can people go online to find out more about you? So I'm most active on Instagram and that's just Dr. Anthony Gustin. Um, and then I have my own website, which is the same thing, .com. And mm-hmm. so the, the two lines would be the, the perfectketo.com and that has all the information and in, in the products there. And then also Equip Foods is something that's similar, um, a lot of whole food products. Um, so that's another extension that we have to make it easier to just get um, real quality food. Amazing. So I'll pop all those links in the show notes um, as well as some of the research that we've been chatting about so that those that want to learn more can certainly dive in deeper. So please check out the show notes if you want to learn more. Anthony, it was awesome to have you on the show. Such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for sharing and thanks for your time today. Thanks, Steph. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.